Welcome to One Day Contract, the Panthers talk show where each week we're joined by a new personality who we've signed to a one day contract to join the show. One Day Contract is a proud part of the Riot Network powered by Ortho Carolina. Follow the Riot Network on Twitter at the Riot Network to stay up to date on all your favorite pods. Football is back. Fingers crossed. And so are all new episodes. Subscribe, rate, love us on iTunes. My name is Nikki Wolf. With me, as always, Colin Hoggard, columnist and contributor for the Riot Report, trying to figure out where those high school field workouts are that keep popping up on Instagram because he wants to go check them out in person. I think I can catch better than a Paul brother. I'm pretty sure about that. Um, I, I think if, if if Cam can work out with me, then I'll believe that his shoulder is, is feeling good. Because if if with, when I go deep, you you got to get the ball. You got to get the ball down the field quickly. Because I'm gonna be I'm gonna be burning. We all know that. <laughs> burning. Our other sidekick slash bestie, Josh Klein, managing editor for the Riot Report, co-host of It Is What It Is. And it's feeling slightly less positive than last week after the baseball season teethered on the brink. But he's back, baby. I'm back. Positive energy. We are going to rock and roll. Everything is po- everything is great. The uh, Panthers' defense is going to be terrific. They're definitely going to play 16 games this season. No reason to think that uh, an outbreak isn't going to hit a team because they're, uh, they all spend a ton of time together. And I feel really good about all those guys working out together, even if they haven't passed their COVID tests uh, and they're off outside of the team facility. So if they do catch COVID, it'll be classified as non-football and they, uh, it'll probably screw up their contract. So I don't feel that all that stuff, ignore it. Everything is great. Top of the world. What a week. TGIF. Let's do this thing. You wow, just look that was a lot. <laughs> you look around at, at sports right now, and you know every time it's it's somebody. If you're in one of these leagues, and it's a it's a player from another league that makes a, the mistake that someone's going to make, like I don't know, walking across the street to get chicken wings, or going to a strip club to get chicken wings, or 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 whatever, or going to a club to get some road strange, or whatever it is. We know that there are going to be guys that are going to make these mistakes, and every time they make them and it's not in your league, like there's a little fist pump, like, see guys learn from this lesson over here. That's the thing is learning from the lesson. They have like, it it is good that this stuff is happening because the NFL hopefully can learn from this. The fact that baseball is like putting in these new COVID-19 restrictions, including like, Hey, maybe don't leave your hotel at night. Like the, the most obvious stuff is like, Oh, okay. Well maybe they, Maybe the NFL didn't have this stuff. I actually, I got forwarded um, the the COVID protocols that the NFL teams have. It's 39 pages long. It's very in-depth, but there's still stuff missing. Like there's still like, hey, like what, we just don't know. Like what happens if five, I, it's the same question every week. What happens if five, oh, you're starting five offensive linemen, get it on Saturday? Like, does that mean we're having uh, like Tyler Larson and, um brand is like brandon bowen gonna move up to be starting against is he lining up against aaron donald like that's gonna be bad news it's gonna be bad so i I just or if nine offensive linemen is it gonna be like well now kk short's got to flip over and play both ways Uh, these are just questions that i have but you know what negative questions and not the way that we're going today positive energy I, I do think, though, what you're bringing up here with the offensive line, with the expanded practice squad, it is, mm-hmm. it is kind of an interesting question of, do you just try and keep five dudes over here in this practice squad? And listen, guys, 
The one thing you really got to do is make sure you're available to play. It's and a really just good have, point. you know, use five of those 16 spots to have a, a secondary line because it really does feel like that's the one unit where that lack of communication on a, on a week-to-week basis really could submarine you, you I know, have provided two, we get to play the games. I have two pitches, hashtag caveat. Uh, I have two pitches. The first one is you get those five offensive linemen to live in a South End townhouse in Charlotte, North Carolina, put some cameras up. Uh, it's the true story of what happens when offensive linemen uh, start, stop, stop worrying about what they're saying and they start getting real. And we're just there with them all season long. And it's like, oh, babe. Like, and then one of them comes back with like, a Philly cheesesteak or like some hot taco. And you're like, what happened? Where did you go? The other guys are like, I can't believe you went out for that. It's 9 PM. Where's your mask? Like, these are the kind of like, I'm, I'm ready for that reality show for the sure. line behind the line. I think it's oh, is what it's called. Oh, that's just, great. You know what? Maybe we should just actually stop the show and, uh, <laughs> and make some calls to, I don't know, like true TV or uh, the NFL network. They're starving for content. Um, episode eight where they where they come back and they've got the korean barbecue but there's only three young ladies that come back with them and just the just the chaos it caused it was it it really was explosive tv i'm i'm here i'm watching i'm binging every episode of that the line behind the line make it happen nfl network get on the horn call us uh uh, and also, um, you're absolutely right. And the other point I wanted to make real quick, and I, I know we're going we're gonna to speed through this stuff because, as you probably noticed, we don't have a guest, but we have a very special interview that's coming up later. Um, uh, the thing, everybody, there's like a narrative that this offseason and no preseason and no OTAs has made it really hard for undrafted free agents to make the team and have an impact. And I'm actually, I'm thinking about, I'm like weighing this take that, I might go the other way because I think that there is a chance that undrafted free agents and guys that would never have a chance to make an impact or see the playing field on in any other season, this season may have a big impact. Like this is the year when the seventh cornerback might actually like the guy, like the, uh, the backup, not the backup, the, the undrafted guy that you thought might be good in special teams in two years, like that guy, now is forced into a role at like Nickelback because Dante Jackson, Eli Apple, and Jeremy Chin all have um, COVID-19. And then Stan Thomas Oliver twists his ankle during the game. And all of a sudden, um, this guy that from, uh, from you know, Arkansas State is coming off the bench. And you're like, who the hell wears number, number 29? And it's, it's this guy. And he has a chance to, to make a real impact. So I, I wonder if if that is something that may, that we may see uh, during the 2020, I'm weighing that take. I'm not sure if I'm going to come in hot with that. Maybe next week. I don't know if, I don't know if this is going to affect your take, but you did stumble into saying that it's going to be the corn elder redemption tour here in 2020. So you just stumbled into <laughs> or 29. I, or did I say that they're going to give his number to somebody else? <laughs> <laughs> That's entirely possible. I, I'm actually very much intrigued by this too, though. The, not just with the Panthers, but teams across the league are going to have more guys we, we presume playing this year and with it, with a crop of undrafted free agents and, and day three guys that maybe don't get a fair shake this year. And even into next year, I think this is going to be as rich uh, kind of a crop as, as you could have. And Matt rule has, has said that he's zeroed in 
on this specific area as a way to continue to find guys and develop guys, I'd be very interested to see how they kind of churn the back end of this roster, not just this season, but going forward into next year as well. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I just, before we get uh, to Nikki's super important question, um, I wanted to tell you guys, we have coming up later in the episode, we're going to do a little defensive preview here on the show. And then I had the chance to talk to Cody Alexander, who's one of the um, smartest guys uh, in the world, maybe Uh, like certainly one of the smartest defensive minds that I've ever spoken to in a really long time. He runs a website called matchquarters.com, which I would highly encourage you to go and check out. Um, He has written six books, including one of my favorite football books of all times called um, Hybrids, The Making of the Modern Defense. And he is just, and he uh, studied Baylor, uh, the Baylor defense over the past three years. He was a Baylor assistant before that under Art Briles. So he has, um, He has a ton of knowledge and just an incredibly smart interview that I'm really excited for you guys to hear. So once you hear from us being uh, nonsense and yelling about uh, maybe uh, reality shows featuring an offensive line and whether or not Christian McCaffrey was rated high enough on the top 100, then there's like 30 minutes of really smart defensive talk in the middle of this show. So um, I'm excited for you guys to hear it. And Cody's, Cody's a real nuts and bolts football guy. He gets down in the weeds on the actual 11-on-11 assignments. It's, it's not fantasy football. It's actual football coaching. Um, his, the website you mentioned, Match Quarters, very detailed, very interesting stuff if you're, if you're actually interested in what's going on on the field. Absolutely. He told me about, I asked him about pattern matching defense and how that coverage works. And he basically like broke it down and it literally now it like, it changed the way that I, that I watch pass plays going forward and the way that routes come out of the backfield. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear that. Now, uh, also excited for you guys to hear, uh, Nikki's super important question. Yes. What do you the got? Super, the super important question You mentioned the NFL Top 100. Let's talk about the NFL Top 100. Give me your thoughts. Let's start with Colin. Well, it was was great to see Christian up there at number six. I know he's just a running back, but it really, you know, reaffirms to me that this organization was right right to pay him. He is absolutely a difference maker um, on the offense, and I think he's he's a feature back, and you you see that in how highly the the NFL, the players, you know, everybody – everybody rates him. So I, I'm encouraged by that, it, you know, because a lot of talk was about he's just another running back at the time of signing. But I think, you know, the, the further we get away from that contract, the more and more people talk about him as just, just an offensive weapon. Uh, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the NFL is a what have you done for me lately, and the team makes a huge difference. And um, despite the Super Bowl winning quarterback not being the number one best player in the NFL – and the highest played player ever and uh, whatever, whatever. Um, Chris McCaffrey, you can't be five, you can't be on a five and 11 team and be, I mean, number six is kind of as high as you can get. I was a little bit surprised that Lamar was number one instead of Pat Mahomes, but ultimately like, uh, like it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it kind of um, the NFL top 100 is like a fun thing to distract us. And they honestly, they should have put it out in April because it would have been like I, I would we would we would have like burnt the house down with everything. They could have done one pick a night in April, like one player per night. That would have been awesome. What are you doing, NFL? Like what oh how many times how many great ideas do we have to put on this podcast 
before you make us all producers of the show. It's like you're rooting for the coronavirus. <laughs> this is why you continually win podcaster of the year, which apparently they give out every month. Thank you. Thank you. You mentioned Lamar being number one. That's very reminiscent to me of when you're heading into the 2016 season when Cam was number one. It's very interesting, though, to hear people talking about Lamar in the way that they in the way that they do. Like, as if I know he was the first quarterback to have a 3,000, 1,000 season, but this idea that he's doing something that we've never seen in the NFL is just it's just wrong. Now, maybe outside of the NFC South, but between Michael Vick and Cam Newton, everything we've seen from Lamar Jackson we've seen before in the NFL and what I think what I find interesting is that when Cam was doing it we were having a, a constant conversation about durability and now we have Lamar Jackson running as much as anyone ever has as as a quarterback last season and now there's like zero regard for his ability to stay on the field it's just like this assume, assumed ability that he's going to be able to stay on the field I, it's very interesting how those two you know, Lamar is doing something we've never seen before, but we have seen it, and there's no concern about his his durability. I just think those two things, particularly in the context of an NFL list where it was only five years ago that Cam was number one, that I don't really understand how the Lamar injury and durability concern doesn't really seem to factor in here. Well, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing, and I, we've said this before, uh, is that Lamar, maybe Pat Mahomes – Sir Josh Allen, like these guys would not be, these would not exist without Cam Newton. Like they were in high school. No, I, I, I apologize. Uh, Lamar was probably like getting bar mitzvahed. I assume Lamar is bar mitzvahed uh, when Cam Newton was, was coming into the NFL. And if you're telling me that he didn't model his game after Cam Newton, I, I just don't buy it. You know, it's like the, these guys, this modern crop of dual threat quarterbacks and ultimately, that's what they are, are, are all just modeled after Cam Newton. And yes, Cam Newton is, in a sense, modeled after uh, Michael Vick. And Michael Vick is, in a sense, modeled after Randall Cunningham. Or they're just, like, upgrades of, of the same style. But, like, yeah, I, I, I do think it's, it's an interesting point that you bring up the, the durability, especially when you look at what is happening with cam from a durability standpoint and an injury standpoint and a contract standpoint and a, um, and, and how much teams want him on their team um, in his, in his current body state, when you talk about Lamar and whether or not he can stay healthy. And I hope he does just like I hoped cam would stay healthy. And I hope that uh, Pat Mahomes stays healthy. I hope everybody you never, but like who wants somebody to get hurt? Like I know, not me. I want everybody to be a hundred percent healthy um, except for, uh, Except for Grayson Allen, that guy can, that guy, that guy can choke on it. That's not very um, positive energy, kittens and rainbows. Yeah, well, you know what? Stop tripping, guys. I'd just like to uh, point out that it's the the opening of the NBA season, and Josh brought up basketball before I did, so I think that's a it's a plus for me. Stoked for the Bobcats! Get out there, G Force. I'm ready for it. Rufus has been waiting for this day for a long time. Did you guys see the Hornets wished Gerald Wallace a happy birthday on Twitter? That was fun. I like that. that oh, was, they I, should. That made me happy. Yeah, he no, should, I agree. He should have the only Bobcats jersey in the rafters. Oh, that would be so dope yeah. if they did that. He's got the only Bobcats jersey in my heart. Oh, well played. Well played. Well, before we get to the defensive preview, let's kind of do a, a quick news rundown um, on the week. 
Let's start with the Teddy Bridgewater decision. This was a Marty made decision. Is this what we're saying? And is this something we already knew? Um, yeah, so I guess this this news came out. I feel like maybe we talked about this at some point. I don't know whether I, I, I was reporting it or just kind of talking about it vaguely, but um, I, I guess the, 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 the news is out now around the Panthers' Twitter sphere that, that, Marty, that Marty Herney um, was, one of, was the main voice in bringing in Teddy Bridgewater. And that's not really surprising. I, I think um, he's the GM. And Matt Rule has said a few times, actually, he has said the phrase like, I let Marty get the players and I do the coaching decisions. I coach the guys that are on the team and on the roster. Um, obviously, I'm sure he weighs in on that stuff. And I think he's going to learn that you can't really say that as a coach. You also can't compliment guys the day before they're going to get cut. Stop doing that, Matt Rule. You're, you're crushing yourself. Did it again with Graham Gano. Um, But I, I think it's – the same thing that I ranted and raved about in February of 2006, which was when it felt like we were recording podcasts a really long time ago, um, that Marty and Matt rule seem like they're on different timelines. And so their decisions aren't really making their decisions are muddy and they're not really together, no matter how uh, connected and, and on the same page, they keep saying that they are. It just seems like some of these decisions are, like you say, oh, well, this is a Marty decision. This is a, this is a Matt Rule decision. Oh, Bravion Roy is definitely a Matt Rule pick. And Derek Brown is a, is a Marty pick. And it's like, that's not good. They should be both making – like, you shouldn't be able to do that. You shouldn't want to do that or have to do that. And, um, and if that's what's happening up there at Minton Moorhead, it's not a recipe for success, ultimately. It, it could be a short-term success, but long-term, it's not a recipe for success. I think there's a real chance that Marty is saving both Matt Rule and Dave Tepper from themselves. We have to consider that Marty was the general manager in 2011 when we brought in both Ron Rivera and Cam Newton, a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback. Now, I know Trevor Lawrence wasn't coming out this year, but if that was kind of the plan, I think, you know, and we look back at what Tepper has done with this team and how he said he was going to have this measured approach to the coaching search. And then he fell in love with Matt Rule. And then Matt Rule apparently has fallen in love with Trevor Lawrence and wants Trevor Lawrence. I, I think that Marty made by installing a veteran quarterback, a guy that knows what he's doing in this system, allows Matt Rule to focus on a lot of other things rather than trying to make his rookie quarterback successful or his young quarterback successful. And I actually think that the timeline of this, because we're not committed to Teddy Bridgewater for a long time. I'm optimistic about it, but certainly he, he doesn't have the ideal frame. Is he going to be able to make, you know, the deep throws? Are all these things going to come together for him? But we're not committed long-term. But I, I think that for the development of Matt Rule as an NFL head coach and a guy that we assume that will one day ascend to having – the, the full power of this organization by virtue of the seven-year contract, that he is better served by focusing on everything else right now and then in time being able to pick his quarterback and bring him into a culture. Because I look back at that 2011 th that time and, and the way Cam Newton's time here in Carolina went and the relationship that, that, that Ron Rivera and Cam Newton had between the two of them. And Marty has a very specific perspective that I think he may have said, I don't want to do that again. Yeah, uh, that's that's a, a really good point, a really good way to look at it. I, I just I and I I, I don't want to be uh, I don't want to be negative. So I, I just I, I like I, I think that some of 
the decisions are maybe coming about with a, I don't, I don't really love the process that they're using and David Tepper and, um, and Tom Glick and the whole, and, and that entire regime has said multiple times that they're very process-based. And even Matt rule has said, you know, I make process-based decisions. How is this going to make the, how is this going to help the team? And then some of the things that they're doing don't seem as process-based as maybe they are saying that they are. And it's one of those things where it's super easy to say, I'm going to make process-based decisions. I say it almost every time I'm going to have dinner. I'm going to make a process-based decision on what dinner time is. I got, I got some lettuce in the, in the refrigerator. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to put some rice in the Instant Pot now, and I'll be ready in an hour for uh, I'll make a nice curry. And then I'm just eating hot dogs by the handful cold out of the fridge like that because sometimes it's just, it's just easier to do that. And hot dogs are delicious. And so I, I, that, that ends up being, yeah, I ate hot dogs and now my stomach hurts, but it was worth it. It is what it is. Yeah. Uh, that, I think that, I think the hot dog analogy got away from me, but <laughs> I want to just say hot dogs are great. I'm not even sure who the hot dog is in this scenario. I'm like, not is, 100%. Is, it Teddy? is Teddy the hot dog? <laughs> I'm not a hundred percent. No, I think, uh, yeah, Teddy might be the hot dog. Teddy might be the hot dog. Whereas like preparing the dinner may have been, um, having, uh, having a, a couple of, of, I guess the hot dog is not Teddy specifically. It's the idea that you can be competitive in 2020 is the hot dog and preparing yourself a salad and a nice curry while it would have taken a little bit longer and maybe not as been as immediately satisfying as that hot dog. Uh, and it would have been a little bit of trials and tribulations because you, you might've cut yourself. You may have, you may have made the curry not as delicious. Uh, but ultimately you would have been happier in the long run, but, uh, you still, you still had dinner. So. Yeah, I'm just not, I just don't, I'm not a believer that, that Lawrence and or fields are instantly in the Pat Mahomes category because we didn't even put Pat Mahomes in that category. So if he's, if, if you bring him in, they're going to be the, the eighth, the 10th best quarterback in the league. Like, okay. But is that worth, you know, submarining yourself for a year when you're a, a first year coach trying to figure this out. And again, I think it's a tough enough job as it is, not to mention everything that's going on in 2020. I really think that Marty did the right thing for the organization long-term with this Teddy Bridgewater move. Yeah, I do. I do like, uh, I, I'll be honest with you. I like your take that this is a, that Marty has seen the rookie quarterback and rookie head coach in the same year. And they made a lot of mistakes in 2011. And he doesn't want to, and he doesn't want to um, make those same mistakes. Uh, I would have liked to have heard him say that, rather than have you, in have you assume that that's what they're doing and that their plan is on that large of a grand scale. That's all I'm saying. In other news, MV Pilardi is out for the season, uh, and Gano is gone. Do either of these, both of these, what impact does this have? Well, Joe Brady offense doesn't punt, so it doesn't matter. Um, and the Graham Gano news, I mean, that, that was one of those things where, like, it was just a matter of time, right? Like, Joey Sly's on a rookie contract. Graham Gano was yeah. due whatever he was due. This team is not necessarily competing this year, no matter what they – no matter how many hot dogs I bring up. Um, yeah, I'm on, the, I'm on the bullish side of this, this season in terms of what I expect for this – particularly out of this offense – 
But Josh, yes. you're right. Like if you're if you're saying that they're gonna be a nine and seven, ten and sixteen, are you paying a guy two million dollars to kick in that now? Of course, if you get in the playoffs and you're the wild card and it goes everything goes great, then it looks super smart. But the reality is you're probably not going to do that because you need to retool this defense and you're going to want to retool this defense here quickly. And I think you'd rather have the money for that purpose and just assume that a kicker's a kicker and a punter's a punter. Yeah, and and two years ago, they had a very similar situation with a seventh-round draft pick that was battling with Graham Gano in camp and uh, they were in a win now. We have a team that we think could compete for the Super Bowl type situation, and they ended up going with the veteran Graham Gano. This is a different team, and this is the right decision. They, they went with the younger player, the cheaper player. It is what it is. Graham was a very good kicker for the, for the Carolina Panthers and personally was a very nice guy, always pleasant to talk to. Um, it, it is what it is. I, I hope he goes somewhere else and, and has success. Um, he probably will, honestly. You look back at that situation. One one thing about Dave Gettleman, too, that we have to – you have to remember, one actual moment that scalded him and scarred him deeply was when he was with the Giants and they kicked the – they punted the ball to Deshaun Jackson when the only thing they needed to not do was punt the ball to Deshaun Jackson. And, and Dave Gettleman carried it forward from that day from that day on that he didn't want to have a rookie kicker and he didn't want to have a rookie punter to possibly submarine you know, a, a good season. And he said as much, and I think that's – you saw that in the Gano decision when they made it. And one more quick one before we get into the defensive preview. With Jordan Mack opting out, do you think any other players will? I, I could tell you the name that I'm most concerned about is Russell Okum, a guy that missed last season with blood clots. And now, the, he was, you know, he interviewed with the Panthers here this week talking about it and acknowledging some COVID concerns. But – until he shows up, until I see him in Bank of America Stadium, I know he has a connection to the offensive line coach. I know he wants to be out there. But I, for a guy that's been as, as active in labor matters as he has throughout his entire career at his age and with his medical history, I think he has to be sitting there, you know, asking the question, is this right for, for me? And I don't know if I was in his situation that I'd be saying, yeah, especially for all the reasons that Josh just – uh, you know, laid out about about this season and this season's expectations. Yeah, I, I think Okung is kind of the natural answer. I, um, was it Mac or Fair? It was Mac that that opted out, right? Not Jason Ferris. Um, it it is what it is. Like I I I I think there are going to be at least there's probably going to be one more surprise opt out, but I don't think it's going to be. I mean it's hard to tell because you just don't know. It's like somebody could be a new father or their, their mother could have, have had cancer or things that you may not know about these, but like we know Russell Okung had, uh, had an embolism. We, we know Curtis Samuel had the heart murmur. We know Taylor Moten just had a baby, but like, we don't know if I, I don't even want to, I, I don't even want to say something terrible about somebody random um, hypothetically. So I won't, but there, there is a chance that any one of these guys could say to themselves, you know what, this is just not worth it. And even though in the NFL, every year is, extre- is unbelievably valuable, um, uh, the health and safety of your family obviously comes first. And it's the same as anybody else. And honestly, it's the, it's the decision that people around the world and around the country are having to make on a daily basis, not just, um, not just football players. So uh, it, it's obviously there's a lot more money involved, 
and there are a lot more people watching. But I, I know there are, there are a lot of people, I mean, right at the beginning of this, my wife decided not to go back to work. Like they, they asked her right when, uh, they asked her when, um, when, you know, when we, I think it was March in, and salons were opening again, my wife is a hairstylist and they said, Hey, do you want to go? Like, we're going to reopen. And she said, I don't feel comfortable going back to work. I don't feel comfortable being there. I'm sorry. And you know, it, was it a great financial decision for our family? Of course not, but it was the right thing to do. We felt, um, and, uh, and ultimately that is probably what I think that a, uh, that, uh, that NFL players are doing for themselves and for their families. I think the most important thing, and we all know this, is, is that it's not one factor. That's one of the things that seems to happen with the, with the storylines or the narratives as they become public, is it's like, this is all about COVID or it's all about family. It, it, anybody in the situation that has family that's an adult making money to support a family, it, the, the number of factors is just is, is too many. And you know, I think Matt Rule is 100% right in what he's saying about everybody's got their own circumstances. You've got to do what's right for for everybody. And, you know, when, when it came to the NBA, we saw guys, you know, opting out of the bubble, but always with an additional reason, always with a little bit of top cover, if you will. I, I think that this year, you know, we can we don't know if they're even going to finish. So how could we sit here and say that anybody is obligated to do something I, this, this year and in the, in the next season is going to be, it's really going to be fascinating from a football standpoint in terms of someone, someone is going to identify a good amount of talent that's getting overlooked during this year and next year. And their team is really going to, going to profit from it over the next three years after that. Let's jump into the defense. We're going to start with the D line first. Is this run defense going to be better? Huh? It, it has to be a I mean, little better. It has to be right. Right. I mean, just by the the fact that the that they were one of the worst in NFL history last year in terms of run defense. Um, now that being said, are we sure it's going to be better? But here's the thing about the defensive line: is when you look at the defense on paper, and when you look at the defense on paper, it is. Um, it's papery, and uh, and I think that when you look at the defensive line, is really where a lot of the talent lay, right? And you spent, and and not only that, but a lot of the investment, a lot of the investment is in the safety position in the defensive line. In the defensive line, you have two, the last two first round picks, you have this year's second round pick, and you have the highest cap hit on the entire defense. Those guys are on the defensive line, uh, and though they have to make an impact. And yes, I know K1 short, his absence cost their de- their run defense dearly last year, obviously. Um, but Derek Brown, K1 short, Brian Burns, and even Steven Weatherly on a, on a low, on a lower level than those three, those three guys have to severely impact the defense. At least one of them every single time that they're in the game. And uh, if they don't, then it's really going to be difficult to kind of try to evaluate with the, with the new coaching staff because as I look at it, do we know if KK and Derek are playing beside each other or are they going to be rotating with one another? Is Derek ultimately going to take KK's spot? I mean, if, if that's the case, does KK even make it to the, you know, do, we, do you try and, you know, do some kind of trade for KK? I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by this because like you just said, the, the capital that and, and the cap space that's been invested here in this front four or this defensive front line, like, are, are they going to optimize Burns or is he going to be a guy that you just end up casting aside and saying, well, maybe he works somewhere else. He just didn't end up being a, a you know, fit with rule system. I, I just, 
there's so many questions about how they're even going to line up right now. I feel like it's difficult to even try and preview how they're going to perform. But I will say, I, I, I think that this season, just as it was last season, they're going to, it's going to be the broken play that I think kills this defense. I don't necessarily think this defense is going to get marched on. I think when you have a young defense, it's more likely that you have a, one bad blown play where somebody does something, you know, and, and you give up a, a big chunk play. So will they be better? I don't know. I still think we're going to be, we're going to be fighting that bugaboo. Is this yeah. going to be a, the breakout year for Brian Burns? Uh, that's, it seems like it, right? I mean, if they get him on the field a lot, I, what I've been, what I found interesting is that, you know, this year has been, and every summer since Instagram came out, has been the summer and spring of workout videos, right? Like that, everybody wants to, oh, look at how jacked they are. And like, oh, man, he's, oh, look at him. Oh, he's crazy. Uh, it's um, every time I see a Brian Burns workout video, he is dropping back into coverage. Every time. And I, I, maybe that's anecdotal. It certainly could be. It probably is. But I do think you're going to see, I wonder what their usage is going to be for Brian Burns, because last year it became very clear. Obviously, um, he has a ton of talent and his speed is unmatched. He's got a great bend. Um, and when he comes around the corner, he's been great. But until he can get that speed to power rush, he is going to be limited. And it seemed to me that if I was an offensive lineman, I would just I would know how to stop. I, I, they knew, it seemed like they knew how to stop him after about six games. Um, and he obviously is working on his counters. He's a young guy. There are lots of reasons for why none of this really matters. But ultimately, he has to take that next step and develop those additional rush moves and the additional he – he's so athletic that if he can drop back into coverage and is able to stay on the field for more than just strictly pass rush situations – that's going to make him that much more valuable. And for the Phil Snow defense, and something that Cody Alexander talked about, he talked about this total football where all 11 guys can rush the passer, but yet all 11 guys could theoretically drop back into coverage. Now, K1 Short, Derek Brown are probably not going to be dropping back into coverage, but Brian Burns is a, is a candidate for that. And there's a lot of talk about the four-man front versus the three-man front, but if you're running a four-man under front, one of those guys is usually standing up on the end of the line anyway. And if that's Brian Burns, you don't know whether he's rushing. You don't know whether he's dropping back. You don't know where he's lining up. And I think that that is a guy that you can use that way. He has that athleticism. And so I'm really excited to see how Phil Snow wants to deploy him in this defense. We want to be optimistic about the defense. I think it will be the, the defensive line and the, and the pass rushing. Because, you know, we've talked about the guys at the top. But, I mean, Gross Matos, Christian Miller, they've invested a lot of – uh, of draft guys and some time into, into, into this pass rush. I think it'll be the defensive line, the pass rush that creates the opportunities for the secondary. Um, and, and that, that to me is the best case scenario is that this front gets the pressure and the secondary, you know, creates those turnovers. Can I ask you a question? And I, I, uh, I wanted to ask Matt rule this, but we didn't get to it yesterday. Do you think that pass rush or secondary is more important? Well, I know a lot of people are now saying that you build from the back. Belichick's done that as the, as the league has gone to more of a pass-heavy system. But I think it's a zigzag situation. You know, if, if, if Derek Brown's the best player, I th you know, Aaron Donald, you know, we just talked about the NFL 100 list. Aaron Donald is, is right up there. And I'm not saying that, uh, that Brown's going to be up there. But I don't think that you necessarily – I think you pick what you, what you can and, and take what you can. Um, I, I think that you can do it either way. You just have to invest in one or the other 
because you either have to speed that time up for the quarterback or be able to extend the time in the secondary. And with what they've invested, I, I think that it will be, it'll be the pass rush if they're able to have the success right now. Um, let's go quick and let's go to linebackers. Who steps up aside from Shaq this season? I know we're on linebackers, but real quick, uh, <laughs> I think that I'm, I'm actually, I'm really excited to see uh, F.A. Abada get more edge snaps this year. I think he's going to be a big part of that edge rotation. Not a big part, but I think he's going to be a part of that edge rotation with Brian Burns um, and Stephen Weatherly. I think he might even be like the third highest number of snaps in that defensive end room. He can move inside. He's just done. He just gets better every single time he's on the field. And I uh, obviously we all know his story, but I just I didn't feel like we could talk about the defensive line without mentioning him um, because I he's just he's the best uh, linebackers. Um, I think. Uh, I think Jermaine Carter is uh, is gonna is kind of the unsung crux of this linebacker room. Like I think that Shaq is gonna be who Shaq is. Uh, to hear Whitehead is going to be uh, somebody in the middle. Like I think he's a great. He's really good at pass uh, pass angles or not pass angles. Excuse me, rush angles. And you know, as a run stopper, um, pass coverage maybe not quite as good, but you could protect against that in some with some scheme. Um, but I think that if Jermaine Carter can make the jump from good backup to guy that needs to be on the field, uh, I, I think that would really be something that I would be looking for from this defense moving forward. Again, with the idea that I'm always looking at what this defense can do in 2021, 2022, 2023, rather than how good they can be this year in stopping Drew Brees and Tom Brady and uh, and Matt Ryan and and the rest of the NFC South. I want to make I want to see them grow and get better, and that's why I made a point to mention FA Abada, and that's why I'm making a point to mention Jermaine Carter in the linebackers. It'll be interesting to see what the snap count looks like this year for particularly all, all, all these like outside guys, the edge guys, because I could see a scenario where there's a lot of guys that have two sacks, two and a half sacks, stuff like that. But I, I wonder if it's going to be Shaq and Whitehead that we just see getting the majority of those, you know, those interior linebacker snaps. And then everybody else is kind of playing 20 to 40% of the time. Yeah. I, I don't think that would be a bad way. And that's the other thing that we, we need to remember. And Vincent wrote a great article about the defensive line rotation in that we are so used to the Ron Rivera style and the Eric Washington style and the Sean McDermott style of rotation on the defensive line and in the secondary and the linebacker group, we don't know what Phil Snow is going to do. Phil Snow did a fair amount of rotate. Like he obviously he likes ro rotating defensive linemen is nothing new, but the way that he rotates defensive linemen, maybe he says, okay, so we have four linebackers that we like. I want to get them. I want to get three of them on the field at the same time, rather than just Shaq is going to play hundred percent of the snaps to hear Whitehead's going to play hundred percent of the snaps. And if one of them gets hurt, then we'll see Jermaine Carter or Andre Smith or, uh, you know, Jason Ferris or one of these other guys. Um, but I think that you, we just don't know exactly what they're going to do from a defensive, um, how Phil Snow's defensive rotations are going to work. And I think that's one of the things that is going to be extremely interesting to watch early in the season. Uh, hashtag caveat. <laughs> one. Yeah. I think I got one out earlier in this earlier in the pod. Nope, that's your first one. I okay, think. all right, that's the first. I try to keep a account of that. You know, that's my job. I, I keep writing, track of the yeah. 
the important things. <laughs> and what time uh, things happen. Yeah. We haven't had a time check recently. No, I guess nothing I really good has happened. We've never had <laughs> anything good. Hey, it's early. It's, yeah, it's exactly. early in all this, you know. Um, is this a spot where undrafted free agents can make the roster? Which one? Where? Linebacker? Linebacker, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Uh, uh, only because Come of on, special- positivity. Uh, yes. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's because of special teams, right? You look at all these guys that were on – you look at Jordan Kunashik last year. You look at um, – I mean, David Mayo, AJ Klein, I get that they were not undrafted free agents, but those guys all made their hay. Even Andre Smith made hay on, on, uh, on special teams. And I think that you need a lot of linebackers on kick coverage and, on, uh, and maybe not necessarily on punt coverage, but definitely on kick coverage. And so that may be where, they, uh, where some of these guys make the team. Um, that, that's kind of my thought on it. Yeah, I, the only reason I'm I'm hesitant is just because it's 2020 and we don't know. And there, it feels like we already have a lot of young guys in that spot that I'm already looking for more out of. That that don't I don't. But at the same time, like you look at the offense, and I'm going other than offensive line. If you feel pretty well set there, um, you know. So I don't know where you you're going to stock up these extra um, these extra roster spots. But I feel like I. I've got a long enough list of guys that play particularly on the outside in the front seven that, that I'm not looking for more guys there necessarily. Where do these UFAs make the roster then in like what position? That's what I'm saying. I, I, I really don't know. And partly because of this year, but I just feel like, I mean, we've got so many guys, like you mentioned, Carter, Smith, Miller, you know, Bravion Roy, like these guys that are coming in that we just have questions about that. I, I'm more inclined to want to see them than get, more reps elsewhere but at, at the same time I don't really have a good spot because so yeah I mean maybe, maybe it is, maybe uh, it is. At, at the same time I said this uh, I've been saying a little bit but I'll make sure it gets into this defensive preview is that Christian Miller last year said that he wanted to do some work at the Sam linebacker position and that was his goal for this offseason so I would assume when you look at who's in that defensive end rotation and also who's in the linebacker room right now there's a spot for Christian Miller to be there in that linebacker room. So I, I think that's where he's going to fit into this roster, I, I guess, if he fits in. I'm just intrigued by what we have in the room, I think, more than, more than anything. Not that that's not what you're sure. saying. No, um, no. I, I'm just – the undrafted free agents, I just – I feel bad for them this year in particular. Um, and I do think that some team needs to, needs to do their due diligence and somebody's going to win because they're going to identify some players. I, you know, hopefully that's the Carolina Panthers. That's, I asked, uh, I asked Matt rule yesterday about practice squad players and undrafted free agents. And he said that was a focus for him coming into the NFL was he felt like the, the rest of the NFL, not that they ignore their practice squad, but they maybe don't do as much due diligence as they should. And he really wanted to make sure that the Carolina Panthers were elevating the guys on the back half on the back end of their roster and making those guys, you know, future uh con- contributors and so I, I thought that's that'll pay off in the long run it'll be interesting to see how that relationship develops between matt rule and marty herney too because you know we've, we've heard matt rule numerous times say he's lets marty make these decisions is matt gonna you know have a list of like four guys be like hey i these aren't these aren't our four just let's find four more like is that gonna because that's something that we've not seen and i know marty you know gettleman was the gm but we haven't really seen that here in Pantherland with that churn on the back end that it sounds like Matt Rule wants. 
Yeah, you you talked about it last year. We we had a we had a nice segment about the the churn, the back of the roster churn, and, and the amount of transactions. And I I think in a year like this specifically, um, you know, uh, the the practice squad and the back half of your roster is going to make a huge difference. And so um, and so it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, yes or no question, and then we're going to move to secondary real quick. Will Shaq live up to his contract? Yes or no, Colin? Oh, man. Yeah, of course. Optimism. Positivity. Positive Positivity. Of course Positive he will. Colin. Why is this even a question? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. I think, I think that Shaq really has had his role um, reduced and, and, and oftentimes overlooked because of just how good Luke and TD were and playing in their shadow. I'm excited for, for Shaq to get this opportunity. I'm excited to see if he's going to be able to, to live up to that. I hope he will. Uh, I, I don't disagree with what Colin said. Um, and positive Josh says, yes. 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 And I think that he can say uh, a thank you to Derek Brown. I think he's going to be a big beneficiary of Derek Brown. I agree. Um, I think um, secondary Colin. Um, th- go ahead. Oh, I, I think that, you know, obviously uh, Luke Keekley, one of the best linebackers of all time, but I think that he got helped out a, a whole lot when he was a young player by having guys like Starla Tulele and mm-hmm. K1 Short and the rest of that big ass offensive line or defensive line right in front of him um, while he was while he was getting better, and it helped being you know um, incredible and a goat. Yeah, um, Colin, this is uh, specifically for you. Um, did the Panthers make an investment in safety, and are you happy? I want to believe so badly in Jeremy Chin. I want to so badly. Like I, I'm just concerned that Jeremy Chin's not going to be able to stay on a football field. That's that's my concern. Why not? I, I'm durability. I oh, think the way that, okay. the way that the way that he plays. I'm I'm so excited about the prospect of having a fast playmaking safety in the middle of this field that I just, given my luck. I just can't believe that it's actually going to come to fruition. So I'll just take personal accountability for this one. <laughs> I've wanted it too long, too much for too long. That it's just, it's not going to work out. Um, I, I think that, uh, first of all, the answer to, did they make, um, did they make a big investment in safety this off season is guess what? Yes. They did. They uh, they moved up into the second round to draft a safety. They their first defensive signing of free agency was a safety, and uh, their only defensive uh, player aside from Shaq Thompson, who is who will be under contract for more than two years and is not on a rookie deal. I know that's a lot of caveats. Is a safety, and they're probably their vocal leader in the secondary and on their defense, and will almost certainly be a captain is a safety. And so uh, I think that that has probably has something to do with the way that Phil Snow runs his defense versus the way that Ron Rivera and uh, Eric Washington and um, Sean McDermott and all those other guys run their, ran their defense. Um, I, I do think that we're going to see some of those three safety looks. I think you're going to see uh, Vincent had an article. I don't really remember which one it was, but he said it really well is that I think that sometimes we're going to be confused whether it's a three safety for personnel nickel nickel or big nickel like we're just those three are all kind of going to look the same because jeremy chin is going to be all three of those at at a certain point during the season and you're just not going to be able to tell okay what kind of what personnel is out there on the field and so 
the uh, the success of this defense, I do think, has a lot to do with whether or not the safeties play well, and that has to include Jeremy Chin and um, and Justin Burris, who I think is also another guy that they really liked. Uh, this he was like an t- early target for them because, in my mind, Phil Snow went to Marty Herney and said, "I need a safety that has cornerback skills," and Marty was like, "Oh." How about this guy who used to be a corner and then transitioned to safety last year and started nine games as a safety once they transitioned it? And that so, sounds like a good move from Marty. It sounds like a pretty decent evaluation there potentially. I mean, if if that if that's how it went down, if if Phil Snow was like <laughs> Phil walks into his office he's like Marty, this is my that was a terrible Phil Snow impression, but it's like Marty, I need a guy. He's, he looks like a safety, but he plays like a corner. Who do you got? And Marty is like, you know who I got? I got Justin Burris from Cleveland. Started nine games last year. Like, just right off the top of his head. That would be incredible. That would be a really nice pull for Marty Herney if that's how that little um, one-act play that I just wrote went down. Well, and and add Custard. And this is, this is the 2020 offseason, so the, the question of whether or not you did enough for the safety position, I think that the Jamal Adams trade certainly is the, is the bar there. But as Josh mentioned, you invested capital, in, draft capital, into getting Jeremy Chin. You signed Burris. This is a position that they have not traditionally valued here um, in Carolina. And so I look at the Adams deal, and, and people can ask, because you feel like it may have transformed this defense. I this, this secondary, Josh, which you just talked about, if they're going to pay off and, and have a good season, I think it's going to be the secondary that's, that's creating these turnovers and, and, and getting these turnovers. And, you know, Jamal Adams is a, certainly a guy that I, I looked at and, and coveted when he was coming out of the draft, and he's turned into an all-pro player. The difference, however, I would say between Seattle and Carolina is they have their franchise quarterback. I don't think the Panthers can take themselves out of that first-round mix in, in, in the draft of possibly getting a, a quarterback. As much as I believe in in Teddy Bridgewater, Lamar Jackson was the 32nd pick in the first round. Like, even so, it's going to be in the first round most likely where you're going to find these guys. And that, to me, if we had a Russell Wilson, maybe you feel different about going out there and making the trade. But without that, and with a guy that even though I like him, he's still a short-term solution at this point in Teddy Bridgewater, I think you had to keep the fix. So I think they have done enough, and I think they didn't do too much, which is what I think the, the Jamal Adams – cost would ultimately have proven i i completely agree with you i think the idea of trading future draft picks for anyone that does not throw the ball would be a bad decision for this for this team and and you mentioned too the three the three safety look we we assume that this is going to be a part of what they want to do if you're doing that does that not diminish potentially the value of each individual safety if that's the look that you're going to because you don't require them to do uh, to cover as much area. Certainly you'd love to have an abs, but is this a system that would maximize him? And he's not a guy that, that gets a lot of INTs so far in his career either. So, yeah, I think it's the same thing with Eric Reed. I see, I've seen, I feel like I see a lot of questions about like how, why this team was so quick to get rid of Eric Reed. Um, it's because he doesn't fit into the system. Like it's just not a Phil snow safety. Phil snow doesn't like a strong safety, a box safety. And, um, and while our, I, I talked, the three safety look is something that I really talked a lot to Cody Alexander with uh, about, and he thinks that it doesn't really, isn't really going to translate to the NFL or that the Phil Snow is not going to employ it that much. But ultimately, 
Um, I, I think it's going to be a part of this defensive scheme, whether it's whether we call it a three safety look, whether we call it nickel, whether we call it big nickel, that's what I think it's going to look like. Um, I also think that uh, just as I as we get ready to move into this Cody Alexander interview, um, that he talked a little bit about whether he thought that they would play a three-man front or a four-man front. They played a ton of three-man front. Not a ton. They played almost exclusively three-man front in Baylor, and he thinks they might continue that in uh, Carolina. Personally, I think it's a four-man front, um, but I think they're going to be – I think they're going to move around so much that this idea of, like, a base defense um, is kind of out the window. Are you saying we're finally getting the hybrid defense we were promised a year ago? Uh, if the hybrid defense looks like it did a year ago, then I'm all set. You can just keep that one in 2019. But uh, let's move to uh, my good friend, maybe my best friend now, Cody Alexander. I had a big laugh at the beginning of this interview. I, I, I joined it in with like a ha, 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 ha. So, Nikki, tell a joke real quick. Josh Klein's podcaster of the year. <laughs> Walked right into that one. <laughs> <laughs> that was so fantastic. I assume I'm just coming from our own personal uh, interview with myself and Nikki and Colin, but it's just me here, Josh, uh, joined here by our friend um, of matchquarters.com, one of the smartest football minds that you could ever hear from and talk to. Cody Alexander, he is the author of Hybrids, um, and what, it's one of my favorite football books. Uh, and just, Cody, how are you doing? Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. Um, I wanted to talk to you today because I, I found, um, I was reading on matchquarters.com, great website if you're looking to improve your football knowledge and especially about defenses and how they work and really get into the minutia of film study and, and how, how defenses operate. Um, and I, I found the, you had written, some things about Phil Snow's defense in 2019. And obviously Carolina Panthers fans are incredibly curious about what to expect from Phil Snow. How do you expect, I guess we'll start with this. How do you expect him to make that, um, that jump from Baylor to the NFL? And do you think that being in the big 12 has a little bit of an advantage? I do think that he has a little bit more tools in the toolbox. He's probably seen a little bit different things uh, coming from the Big 12 and kind of being indoctrinated in it. Uh, you know, anybody that has ever coached in the Big 12 understands is a different beast. I know outside looking in, um, primarily like if you're from SEC country, you know, a lot of people kind of scoff at the Big 12 that, oh, it's just, you know, it's a land of offense. But you're being stressed all the time on defense and you actually have to learn about space and angles and creating matchups and eliminating things. And really what you're doing is you're playing option football on uh, every down, but you're, you're doing it with way more space than you would. in like, if you're watching Navy or, or army. And so for me, I don't think that you're going to, he's not going to bring the odd stack to Carolina in the sense that you think that that's going to be their base defense. You know, Phil Snow traditionally has been a 3-4, cover one, cover three guy. I think that's what you're going to see at the beginning. That's what he did at Baylor. Um, I wrote about in the articles that you're talking about in, the, in that series that I did. I, I, I In the very first one, I always I, – I, anytime I do a long thing, I like to detail kind of the history behind it, what's going to happen, where is he coming from, to give context. Because I think the problem in football now, especially with Twitter and things, is you just get – you get a flash of a play 
but there's no context to why things are. Um, Phil Snow and Matt Rule are really smart guys. I, I think there's a reason why they're in the NFL and they got that jump from a place like Baylor. And I think you're going to see them start out with the three, four, but in their draft process, you really got to look at kind of what the big 12 did with them and their kind of belief in hybrid players. So you think that they will come out with that three man front? Not that I think so much is made of the difference between the three, four and the four, three. And and a lot of people think there, but realistically, if they're running like an under front, it's not as different as, as a lot of people maybe think. Yeah. Um, But do you think they will come out with that three, four, that odd dime that um, you, but you don't think exactly the same thing that he did at Baylor? No, I don't think they'll get what I call the odd dime or the odd stack. Uh, it's a three, three, three. Uh, you know, I think that the uh, Haycock who they basically are the ones that are kind of famous for reintroducing it and bringing it to the big 12, you know, San Diego state's been running it forever a lot of odd, odd stack guys are all mad because they're like, we've been running odd stack forever. And it's kind of like the flex phone. There are these group of coaches that are, man, they're like odd stack and <laughs> do. Um, but I think what he did in particular was one, he decided to change. And I think for coaches in the big 12, that's really big guy. There have been plenty of guys go through the 12. Diaz at one point was considered a defensive guru um, and, and really it's Texas kind of gets the, 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 the blame here, but you've got guys that have been these, they've been in the SEC or they've been these guru defensive coaches. They get into, uh, you know, Charlie Strong's another one. They get into the big 12 and they just refuse to change. They don't want to change. They're going to run their hot pressures. They're going to be aggressive. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Um, I think a little bit of that happened to Todd Orlando. Um, they had that one really good year. They were experimenting with the three high safety stuff. He had a bunch of DBs and, you know, he got too aggressive and he just kind of, it just kind of fell apart for him. Um, but I think what Snow did is they just said, look, this is what we have. We're, if we keep going the same way, we're never going to be any good. And they decided to change it and they had the personnel. And I think what, if I'm Carolina fan and I'm looking at it, I'm not looking at schematically. I'm looking at what he did with those players. That, to me, is much more of an indicator of a great coach and what you're going to get at Carolina than the actual schematics of it. Uh, so what was it, I guess, you obviously, you, we were talking before we started recording that, that you're a Baylor guy, you were a GA there, um, you obviously pay extra attention. What was it specifically that he did with the players to turn them from uh, a poor to average defense in 2017 to, you know, one of having that super high def- defensive efficiency in 2019. Yeah. And in fact, they did not have the same, uh, well, I call them ha- uh, havoc stats or chaos stats, you know, tackles for loss, sacks, you know, think pressure, things like that. They didn't have, they, they weren't producing those at all in the first, in running a three, four. And, and, you, you know, and that's something that was odd because at Temple they had they usually had great defenses, and so for them to come to Baylor and they just couldn't they couldn't produce any pressure on the quarterback. And then this past year they actually were back to Phil Bennett level, uh, uh, had kind of these chaos stats. They they were back in the they were back there with tackles for loss and sacks and thing and interceptions and things like that. They actually were back to where they had been prior to Art Briles being fired. Um, and what he did is. They had a tremendous front three. 
they had they had a five star recruit that had transferred there from Texas A and M and Johnson. They had Roy, who I think they actually mm-hmm. drafted him sixth round uh, pick. Yeah, in the sixth round, and then you had the defensive player of the year in Lynch, and so they had guys up front. What they didn't have is they didn't have the edge player that they needed. Uh, they didn't have the linebackers that were just kind of those three, four player linebackers. And then they didn't, you know, they had a bunch of corners. And so what they ended up doing was they took the corners that could tackle the best, really, and they put them at hash safety. And they took Chris Miller, who was a really fast kid and is a true safety, and they put him in that middle safety position. And then really what he did was he took his three, four stuff and his blitzes, but he gave it an odd stack presentation. Uh, like you would if you were running a, a down and you wanted to run a three down with a three linebacker, kind of that that odd dime uh, look in the secondary on third down. But except now, you're going to have the same three four fits. You're going to have the same coverages, but we're just going to do it from a fi- from a five kind of what I call an umbrella uh, coverage look, and then that way nobody's going to know what we're doing. And by moving the corners from corner to half safety, you know what kills cover three. It's the seams, right? Mm-hmm. So what if we put man? What if we put guys that can play man right there, and then we just compress the box? And that's a, that's essentially what he did. So, like I said, to me, it was more of a an indictment on how good he is as a coach than it was necessarily schematically. Like he was willing to change and be able to look forward. Because I visited him in 2017 after the 2017 season. So prior to 2018, you go watch Baylor in 2018; they're still running Phil Snow, uh, Phil Snow three four cover one, cover three, and they're getting killed. They're not, they're not getting any pressure. They're not doing anything. And then fast forward to the 2019 and they're running, they're running this super aggressive kind of three, 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 a lot of cover one, a lot of cover three, a lot of these fire zones and, and using that D line to get a lot of pressure, just using them to just collapse everything and get those athletic linebackers free. Do you think that a, like a a, a four two three or a, not not exactly an odd stack. I, I guess the question is, do you how creative do you think that Phil Snow and this defense could be in the NFL, or do you think it's going to be more of a something that we all recognize um, in twenty twenty? I think it. I think the first year it'll be more what you recognize. You don't give right. somebody a long contract. It, to me. What, what I think is going to end up happening offensively as well as defensively. I mean, I think what Matt Rule did on offense with Hyden Brady and then, and then doing, doing some of the, the drafts on that side, some of the, you know, what they're trying to do, you know, with bringing in Teddy Bridgewater and things like that, it, you know, you know, you got to remember Bridgewater's with the Saints. He's got some comfort level with that Brady system. So to me, I think what you go and look at it as a whole, instead of trying to, I know we're talking offense, but then, Look at that, and then look, and then you've got to see what they did in the draft. And I think this year will be more vanilla. I don't think that you're going to see a lot of exotic things. I think they're going to, I think you can do more in the NFL because you're talking about the elite players in, 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 the, in the world. Um, but I, I think you'll see some semblance of what they did at Baylor on times, and then I think you'll see more or less the, the traditional 3 4. With, with kind of the lessons that they learned playing in the Big 12 against some of these, these more high-powered offenses. As a coach, and you know, you're a defensive coordinator, you work with secondary, um, how, how much harder does it make your job to install a scheme 
in a shortened period of time. So the NFL, obviously, no OTAs, no minicamp. They probably won't even get into helmets and pads until the third week of August. How, how can you can you install a scheme like that, or do you kind of have to do you have to get them on the field and and interacting with each other in order for, to be successful? Well, I think the default in, in NFL is to play man, and so for me, I think secondary wise, you're going to play man, and then you're going to start you're going to start working in other things as you get further along. So uh, you know, and I've had this conversation with a guy I work with uh, at Mesquite Horn where I'm at now. It's like, look, if we end up and we like basically can't show up until the week of our first game, I was like, let's just play man free. Mm-hmm. Now, don't be don't be, you know, don't try and put a square peg into a round hole. Uh, you know, so I think in the NFL. You got guys that can play man, and that's what you're probably going to end up defaulting to. Um, I think we're going to see at the beginning of the season, it's going to be really vanilla. And then as you go on through the season and as the players get more times with the coaches, you're going to see a little bit more different looks every week. And then they're going to add and add and add. And the next thing you know, you're going to have this, you know, kind of like the the rings of a tree. As you grow out, you're going to have more. It's going to be bigger, right? And so I think this will be an interesting year in the NFL for everybody. I, I think, you know, look at teams that have veterans coming back, you know, that those are the, those are the teams, you know, that can get to hot starts. Um, but I do think with Carolina, I think you've got a good coaching staff. I think they're, they're heavy on fundamentals. So it may be a slower start this year. It may not be year one, but I think you'll see tremendous growth in year two and then so on and so forth. Uh, so like obviously you say man man coverage is the most simple corners they you know you learn that stuff in like junior high how to to cover a guy one-on-one how the the more exotic stuff that you see because one of the things that I always enjoyed reading when I would read your stuff um specifically in uh hybrids the the making of the modern defense um is about pattern matching and how that kind of came to be how how coverage evolved yeah for the years in the NFL and in just in football in general and I was hoping that maybe you could talk tell us a little bit about like what pattern matching is because I feel like that's that's one of those buzzwords that you see on Twitter all the time and I think there are a lot of fans that may not know exactly what that is and how it can be used in the NFL and just how hard it, it is to implement yeah so Pattern matching is like a, it's kind of like an umbrella term. Um, It's like if I say, uh, if I just say I'm eating sausage, right? It could be like a million different types of sausage, right? Mm -hmm. So, so pattern matching is kind of like that generic term for we're going to play match coverage or we're going to play, we're going to let the routes distribute themselves and then we're going to match that. Now, there's a million different varieties of, of matches and different ways of teaching quarters or different ways of teaching cover two, different ways of teaching cover three, and all the different rotations, all the different techniques. And so that's kind of where you get into the nuts and bolts of it. But all pattern matching basically means is as the receivers are going down the field, they're going to run route combinations. Most of the time, you're getting anytime there are two receivers near each other, you're going to get a combination and it's going to stretch the field either horizontally or it's going to stretch the field vertically. And then in most cases, you usually have three levels. You have a bait level, which is something that's either near or behind the line of scrimmage. You have the, you have the uh, target level, which is intermediate. The, The modern offense is built on intermediate passing game. And then you have kind of that, alert level or the vertical level or the shot level and that is that is if it's open throw it if not 
throw it, throw it below the coverage. And so I think what you see in college is the main target is that alert level, get the shot out and then we'll work down. Whereas in the NFL, it's about efficiency, right? So I, now I want to throw the intermediate and then, Hey, if they're just not covering that guy and he's running down the, the middle of the field, throwing the ball. Um, and I think that's that philosophy of where do you start your, that. And, and so now you add a triangle because most most offensive concepts are built off triangles. And now it's where are you putting that triangle? You know, are you putting that triangle on the hash, the hash and we're attacking a hash to the middle of the field? Or are we putting it to the sideline and now we're attacking that triangle on the sideline? And so that to me is, is kind of pattern matches the generic term. And then the coverages that you choose to do then that's that's how you're building either a box or a triangle over those receivers. It did seem like that LSU Joe Brady offense was built very much on that on those shot reads or the alert throws because uh, you know that that was obviously Joe Burrow's first read a lot of the time. Yeah, and 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 he took it. Um, what did you see when you were watching the LSU? Uh, offense last year and and how do you think that that's going to be able to translate into the NFL you know it's it's about attacking space and it's about giving different presentations and moving people around uh, to get matchups I think uh, if you've ever seen you know the 49ers play with with Shanahan and the way he uses that and then his tight ends to get into to get in mismatches whether it's an empty whether it's in 21 personnel with two backs you know that's to me a little bit different with the with LSU was they were they played basically what I call all eleven. So they had they had a tight end, three receivers, and a running back, and then they could line up anywhere on the field, but the personnel wasn't going to change. And then you do you have kind of like that kind of McVay system of check with me, check with me, check with me. Where in the college level you can do check with me because they don't have the headset, so you could go all the way up until uh, the snap of the ball. Uh, probably usually about 10 seconds to to the to snap to where you can signal in things whereas in the nfl that thing cuts off and then it's like look mm-hmm. man and and i think a lot of people were exposed to that and they realized what mcbay was doing um kind of it when they when they made their super bowl run and kind of after that of uh, of that so i think to me what they what the brady system does is it takes the best practices from what the saints have done cuz i don't think anybody can argue that about the saints offense and how prolific that it has been for a sustained amount of time i mean Sean Payton's one of the better offensive minds in the nfl and then you add that college aspect of the rpos and the play action and you bring that kind of style of hey let's throw the alert every once in a while and let's not just say hey you know, be alert, take a peek, or, hey, we'll call it as a check. Hey, they haven't been covering it. We've got a matchup. You know, now we're looking for space and we're looking for matchups. If you think there's a guy that has a matchup, get him on a vertical route. I mean, to me, this is a, this is kind of the evolution of the Art Brile system uh, of t- being being willing to take the shot um, and run to space and, and, hey, my guy's just faster than your guy. I think there's a little bit of a a thought among Panthers fans. And I think this is something that we're just not going to know until we get out on the field that, um, that Teddy Bridgewater is the kind of quarterback that maybe doesn't take those shots as often as he should. That's been something that has certainly kind of stuck with him when he was at Minnesota. Um, And 
personally, I think it had a little bit to do with what Mike Zimmer and Sean Payton were asking him to do. Um, but I, I mean, we're going to find out. So that, that's kind of the best part about yeah. football is either he's going to throw it deep when, when Robbie Anderson has a matchup or he's not. And eventually all that stuff kind of comes to the forefront. Um, well, and I think the, the, vertical, the vertical shots are real sexy in college football and they're more prevalent there because there's such a disparity in talent uh, between the DBs and, and receivers and vice versa. I mean, you watch Ohio State, and, I mean, uh, they've got two great corners. They, they're killing everybody. And then what happens? They go and they play a team like Clemson that has, like, well, hey, we've got first-round receivers as well, and we got a first-round quarterback. And now, now we can match up. And so then it becomes, oh, now it flips. And then LSU, obviously, with them, their talent on the field was probably historic. And so mm-hmm. now you're looking at they're just better than everybody at the college level. I think the NFL – there's a little bit of a, a different it's the it's a little bit more even playing field um it's harder to find a third corner and things like that and i i get that but you know most most you get paid in the nfl and you're a starting corner in the nfl because you can play man and you can match up with people and i think that that to me is a little bit different and that's probably why you don't see such the vertical game uh as much in the nfl now don't get me wrong they're taking shots and they're throwing balls deep down the field uh, but it's not just that, man, that guy, how did that guy get so wide open like you right. see in a college game? Um, I, I know, obviously, we we talked a little bit about offense, but I want to bring it back to the defense and talk about some of the – just the the way that, um, that, that the big nickel or that hybrid safety linebacker position has become so prevalent in the NFL that – I, I think obviously a lot of people in Carolina were introduced to Thomas Davis and then Shaq Thompson came along. And now I think Jeremy Chin is kind of that same, um, that, that same kind of mold, but how do you, how do you, are you building a defense around uh, a hybrid talent like that? Or is it something where you say, okay, I have the spot that I need to fill. I need a player with these kind of, uh, with this skill set. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, I mentioned Chin earlier. Um, I think you, I think the probably the best example, the one that everybody talks about, is with the Arizona Cardinals with Simmons. I mean, they couldn't cover a tight end last year, so what did they do? They went and they got the best hybrid player that they could, that could also play linebacker, uh, and kind of move them around. So now they've got somebody that can cover a tight end. I think that's the dilemma now in the NFL is, okay, if I put a corner over there, they're just going to play basketball, and he's you know, you're playing, think about it. You've got your five ten point guard playing, uh, playing against uh, LeBron James power forward. You know what I mean? So it's like, Oh, oh you want to play big? You want to, you know, you want to get small. They're just going to play big ball on you and play basketball. Um, now when you can get some bigger guys in there, six, three, six, four, two thirty. you know, now, okay. Now we're even the playing field a little bit. That guy can run too. Uh, and he can cover. He's really a DB, you know, even with Isaiah Simmons, I mean, you could argue that he's probably not a defensive back, but, he can cover a tight end and he's athletic enough that he's, and he's physically uh, in stature uh, enough to hold up against these, some of these bigger tight ends that you're seeing in the NFL. So to me, it's a kind of a need like, Oh, we got to kind of have this guy. And and most, most of them call it a money backer. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's such a need for money backer because most people can now are familiar with the third corner. 
or you have like with Minnesota, they had Sandejo as their, as their big nickel, you know, or their, their third safety that could play down and, and kind of be cover guy hash. You know, if you play a lot of zone, it's okay to put safety there. I think most people are familiar with that. Um, I, I, but I don't think most people are familiar with the money backer and the concept of the money backer and using a kind of a, uh, not a smaller guy. He's, I mean, Isaiah Simmons and even Chin, Chin's what, 230, I think. So, I mean, yeah. it's not like he's not, he can't play in the box if you ask him to, uh, but you put him to the tight end side and if tight end wants to, to go out for a pass, you have somebody that one can cover him, but two, if the tight end blocks, he can stick his nose in there and make a play too. Yeah. I, I think that that, that kind of movement away from the standard five ten, one ninety nickel corner that when you come out with an 11 personnel that you need, you need to switch switch your own defensive personnel I think is kind of going is going away and that was something whenever I talked to any of the guys on the defense this year they all talked about one of the things that Phil Snow has said is like we don't want to have to switch personnel constantly like we don't want to have to bring in oh here comes oh we got to bring in our nickel corner it's like okay so these are our guys and we can then um, we can then dictate what what we want to do from there how much does that change for you for for a coach when you don't have to change personnel and you can make it that much easier to disguise your defense. The whole playbook is open. I mean, cause think about it. It's, it's no different than it's no different than LSU, but on the defensive side. Right. So if I, if I always have my 11 people out there, the defense can't suck. Right. So I'm going to know what they're going to do right at the bat. They're going to, Oh, okay. You're, you're going to play small. You're going to play with the third corner. Well then I'm going to manipulate and I'm going to make sure that, that that guy gets punished every single time. Okay, or I'm going to move my guy and I'm going to make sure that uh, maybe your linebacker can't cover, so I'm going to make him cover uh, because you're going to third corner and they're on that receiver. Well, now somebody else is open. I think defensively on the flip side of that is if I can handle it without all 11 on there, it doesn't matter. The game, basically the, the NFL now it's, it's such a package league anyway on offense that and you can watch it every Sunday of, of – if I bring two tight ends in, the defense goes to the three-four package, and now they basically have five D linemen on the field. Uh, if I go eleven personnel, now they got to decide: do I come in there with a, a safety or a third corner? And and then that, then that's where the matchups start. And so I think what with Snow, and that's such a Big Twelve thing to say: of like, look, I it I don't care who's on the field, we got to have these guys on because. Because in the Big Twelve with tempo and all the other things, and check with me and and that and that, I mean. You can't sub out uh, outside of maybe the D line or something. So, you know, that, that makes sense to me. It opens the playbook up more because now you can add layers with the guys there. You don't have to reteach somebody. It's like, okay, if I bring in, because if you think about it, if I bring in a third corner, maybe he's not great at blitzing. Maybe I'm only going to bring him in there and, and all he's going to do is cover the slot. Well, that's one less guy that I can blitz, you know, mm-hmm. And so you figure in most cases, the field corner doesn't blitz either. So now I'm only down to nine guys that I can, I can manipulate and move around. Well, I'm not going to mess with the boundary corner because my safety does, can't really cover their number one guy. So now, now, you're, now you're down three guys. So now I've only got eight guys to manipulate what the offense is going to do. And so to me, what Snow is saying is, look, we got to be able to live with the guys that we got. And so that's why we need hybrid guys that can also do the job of other, other people. And it's that kind of that concept that I wrote about in, in uh, hybrids of total football, which is a soccer term, but 
kind of in a American football sort of way of that I need to be able to have all 11 guys that can kind of do multiple things. Yeah. It, to me, Jeremy Chin really, um, he, he does kind of, uh, he, he sums that up. And whenever you watch him on tape and watch what he was doing, I mean, obviously Southern Illinois, they're kind of asking him to do a lot and he's more talented than 90% of the guys that he faced, maybe, maybe 99%. But you can see that he can really line up all over the field. And I do think that they are going to ask him to line up in a lot of different places. And when you do have guys like that and Shaq Thompson um, and even Justin Burris uh, is a converted corner, uh, what played corner for two years and now, and then was safety last year. So he can play both. I I think they just have a lot of um, intermingling inter, uh, meshing pieces that they can that he can play with which I'm pretty excited to watch I, I think to see what he's going to do is going to be uh, exciting one guy that I think he's also going to move around but I'm curious to get your take on is uh, is Derek Brown so Derek Brown obviously um, huge defensive tackle from Auburn but they did move him all along the line um, you know he was out uh, he was out at the five every now and then not very often but um, he was and he could he could make an impact what does a defensive lineman like that um, and specifically Brown offer to the defense when they can move around and have that much versatility? Yeah. I mean, you can pick your matchup when you got a guy like that. Okay. We got this guy. Um, your right tackle's not very good. Okay. Well, we'll put him on the right tackle and we'll manipulate the front so that him and the right tackle are always one-on-one or let's say you don't have a very good guard. Uh, okay, I'll manipulate. I'll put him right on top of that guard. Now the guard has to deal. I mean, that's what the Rams do with Aaron Donald. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you can't handle him? Fine, we'll put him out there, you know. Um, and then you look at what the 49ers have been able to do with their four uh, defensive linemen and, and just being able – it's like, okay, well, who do we want to get the sack this time? We're going to manipulate it, you know, and who who's your weak link? And then we're just going to hammer, hammer, hammer. But when you got a guy like that, it kind of goes with – you know, to me it's a presentation league. That's what the, that's what defense has become is you got to look if you're if you know you got to start giving them different presentations uh give them different looks make them think you know different things you know last week he played in a five this week now he's your nose you know and then you know then then following week he's now he's playing the three technique and you're running in a, you're running a four down front and so I think to me it's just making the offense think you know mm-hmm. and search for that matchup and then kind of give it what you really want to do, make it look like it's something else. And then, but you're not really changing anything. Is is that something that as a lineman, obviously um, we're probably both a little small for defensive tackle, but um, how, uh, how for a guy to move around like that, is that something that is instinct? Is it taught? Is it something that is, is a tough uh, a tough skill to learn is to be able to play from multiple positions along the defensive line. I think it is. I mean, because for instance, I mean, you've got guys that are basically glorified edges that are considered DN. You know, like uh, for instance, like Vaughn Miller is an outside linebacker edge guy, right? He's mm-hmm. really a DN. He's really a DN. Um, he doesn't go in to cover very much. Same thing with Chubb when you look at you look at the Broncos, right? Um, and so to me, it's like you would never put him inside unless you were manipulating it to where he was getting a one-on-one with a guard. Um, and so, you know, to me, it's like, it's a different set of rules on the outside than it is in. So if you can get a guy that's dominant uh, and is gifted enough that he can play inside and outside, cause it, you know, he's 300 pounds, but he moves like he's about 250. you know? So to, to me, that, that 
it just, again, it, it expands your playbook. You've got more that you can pull from. You can move them around. You can change presentation. You can attack the tackle. You can attack the guard. You can attack the center. You can attack the whole line with the guy. Uh, and then you can manipulate it with the different ways that you look at things. So to me, it is different. You know, if he's going to play at a five and he's going to play outside on the tackle, then yeah, it comes with a different toolbox. If he's going to play inside, now he's going to be taken on double teams. He's going to have the cross fades. It's a different kind of hand work and, and leverage and things like that. So yeah, but it, again, you can, if you get a special player who I think they feel Brown can be and who I think a lot of people feel Brown can be, then, then eventually maybe he can be that dominant, that dominant D lineman. And I think in a three down, you know, you can kind of move him around because there's really not much difference from a five and a three. If he's always working inside or a nose to a three, it's, it, you know, that you can move that guy around inside. And then, you know, if he can eventually be, uh, you know, kind of evolve into somebody that might be able to play a little bit of a five technique and, and rush the edge, then, then that's just a bonus. There are so many guys. One of the things I really think they focused in on, and, and we had a, um, an article on the Riot Report uh, by um, Vincent Richardson that looked at this, is that it did seem like one of the things that they valued in their defensive linemen was the same thing that we're talking about in the secondary, is that hybrid usage. So Derek Brown can move all over the line. Itro Gross Matos played inside um, at the three technique. Even F.A. Abada played a lot of three technique last year. That was a, a little bit the product of the three four that that the um, Panthers were running, but they they have they have a lot. They've been collecting these um, um, defensive linemen. Stephen Weatherly is another guy they signed who played inside and outside in Minnesota. So they want they clearly value the ability that like when you are in the offense and you look at the huddle, the defensive huddle, you don't know what's going to come out of there. And just like what you said, it, it's the more you can disguise, the more confusing you can be. The, the better the better your defense is going to be able to play. And I think especially in a scenario like this where offenses maybe aren't as um, prepared because of the lack of training camp and the lack of OTAs and minicamp and scheme install, um, that, that can be a little bit of an advantage um, for, for the defense. So I think they're the, they have built this, their defense in this like modern hybrid um, with this modern hybrid ideal and, uh, and that was one of the reasons why I thought you were the perfect person to talk to is because, you know, when I think of a hybrid defense, uh, you're kind of at the top of my list. Oh, well, I appreciate it. Yeah. And I, I think what you're seeing now in the NFL, um, is that you really, there really is no difference from a three and a four down. I think what you do is if you get big, they get into a bare front. Uh, they're going to have five D linemen out there. Usually have two edges to set to contain and really force you. Look, if you're going to max protect, and you're going to leave that tight end on, on our edge guy. It's going to be it's going to be a long day. Uh, and then if you go more to a nickel, and they need to go to eleven personnel, ten personnel, then that's that transformation into kind of that that four down uh, with the two edge rushers on the outside and your two interior guys that can either play at the three or play at the G, which is a G is just a two wide. So you're you're still playing on the guards, different leverage point. So to me, I think that's kind of the more more NFL film I watch. Outside of the guys like San Francisco that are just, look, we're four down. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. um, outside of those guys, I think the guys that bounce around, you know, they say they're a 3-4. Well, yeah, they're a 3-4 versus like 21 and 12. But you go 11 personnel, they're getting in that, that you know, what is it? You can call it a 2-6, but those edge guys are really outside yeah. line. You know, they're, they're edge guys. I mean, they're, they're DNs. They're not really dropping back into coverage. So I think that's kind of 
when I watch the NFL, that's kind of the evolution that I see. Those outside linebackers, the the guys that are like six four, two forty, like that aren't they aren't really like they can but they'll put their hands in the dirt and they can get in there, but they're not they seem like they're almost built a little bit. They're built for speed. They can't really go inside. I mean they can, but yeah. um do you think that those are kind of those guys are are phasing their way out of the league? Are they are are they just being asked to play differently? You know what I'm saying? Phasing their yeah. way out of the league was not what I meant, but you know what I'm saying? Like being yeah. asked to play differently than in the past. Yeah. I mean, they, they're, I think what they, what, what I look at it is, is they're, they're just basically taking the, I, I mean, really it's the Gary Patterson way of looking at a four man front of we're going to have these wide fives. We're going to set contain, we're going to do some interior line movement, but we're going to let these guys loose and, and, and try and go get the ball. Uh, and bottle everything up in the middle to these two backers that are athletic and that can run and that they can, you know, they can outrun the guard that's coming to block them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think to me, that's kind of the way that I see the edge player. I think people are catching up with the fact that the sack though is great. Um, it's still not, you're talking about 500. If, if, if let's say, you know, a guy like Von Miller, for instance, you know, I'm a Broncos fan. That's why I always go to Von Miller. Right. Uh, but let's say Von Miller, you know, he, he may have 500 plus snaps in a season, yet he's only getting, you know, 16 sacks would be a really good year for him. You know, do the math on that. that that's, you know, nobody in their right mind, and I, not even baseball would be like, oh, that's a good average. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think people are starting to figure that out, and they're starting to look at other things of like pressures, uh, hurries, you know, is he winning? Is he winning his one-on-one? And I think, too, at the end of the day, you still got to be able to stop the run. And you can't be – if you are only on the field one time and that's on third down, then are you really adding value? And I think with the way – you know, I think with – the smarter the NFL gets with cap, with the draft and analytics, that people are just going to be like, look, hey, are we really, really going to pay this guy an astronomical amount for him to only really be useful on one down and that's third down? And I think the other part of that too is people are finding out third down is really not that important. It's a, it's as important as first down. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not winning on first, what's the point? You know, if you never get to third down and the, the offense keeps moving the ball, you know, well then he never gets to just let loose. And so I think too, people understanding that now third down and first down are pretty much the same importance. Um, I think analytics has changed it. I think what the what the Patriots have been able to do the past couple of years with their secondary has shown that even though that with, without an elite pass rush, you can have an elite de- coverage defense. Uh, and so I think, you know, when everybody's going one way, Bill Belichick goes the other uh, and he ends up being kind of most of the times being on the smart side of things. And I think coverage, you know, to me, I think when you have a good pass rush, it helps the coverage, but you can live with when you have really good coverage. If you can have really good coverage, it just makes everything hard for that quarterback. Well, yeah, because, you know, even with a good pass rush, there's so much that Belichick and Sean Payton, um, and I, I'm assuming Joe Brady is going to do the same thing, can do to counteract your pass rush. Because if you can get there in three seconds, they can get the ball out in two. Yeah, it, yeah. And, and I think the way that offenses are structured now to be able to get the ball out, especially on early downs, you know, you, you know, you can't look third and seven, third and 10, everybody knows what's going on. Like, Hey, that ain't a big deal. If, now, if you go too aggressive, they're going to throw a screen, but everybody kind of gets that. It's, it's, can you win on first down 
And if you're just letting that guy just run free for pass rush, he's never going to get there. They're going to find some space and they're going to throw the ball quick and it's going to be out, like you said. So, I mean, I think that's kind of the – with the way the offenses are becoming more and more efficient, they're using the analytics better, they're attacking first down better. I think what you're seeing now is just, you know, edges aren't as, as valued as they used to be and coverage people are valued. Can you can you stop those quick passes with scheme? So if you're you're – you're a defensive. You're drawing up a defensive scheme against Drew Brees or Joe Brady. What What are you trying to do to limit that? Because you can't just you right. can't just count on getting to him. You know, if you're if you're like the Patriots, you play man because then there's nothing that they can do. You know, we, you play man, and then you put you put your you put your uh, extra safety or what they call a rat. They use these rats and they either cut the crosser or they cut the slant or they're, or they're just lurking in the middle for those crossing routes that are, that, you know, Patriots have made so famous. And, and really, if you, if you think of RPO now, instead of bubble, you think of slant. And so to me, I think that that's the key of, of manipulating the coverage post snap, uh, the space where you think that is coming. And that way you can, you can keep the box intact. Uh, the other way of doing it is manipulating post snap and moving guys around and, and trying to trick them into throwing into things that they, you know, make them think that they have space, you know, show single high, but play too high, you know, show too high, play single high. Uh, and then every once in a while live in what you, sh- what you present. Uh, and I think that to me is, uh, I think that's kind of where the, are becoming uh, better and better is, is that presentation pre-snap of giving the illusion of space and then closing that door when the ball snapped. Well, you've, uh, you've, you've done a really nice job of highlighting um, all of the things that Panthers fans, uh, the, like the worst memories for Panthers fans. You've talked about <laughs> Von Miller, the Broncos, <laughs> the Patriots. Uh, and so, um, so obviously, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people, every time you were brought up, you were, when you mentioned Von Miller, it's like, oh, all right, just, can't, just move on. You know, we're, yeah. we, don't, we don't need to talk about that. Um, I do want to ask you just because I'm really just curious, how, how do you, uh, and it's the same question I just asked you, I get it, but how do you, how would you game plan against Christian McCaffrey? Because it, it seems like this is a guy that everybody knew he was going to get the ball last year. He was kind of at, at a certain point, he was essentially, I, I don't want to say the only weapon on that offense, but Kyle Allen couldn't get the ball out of, out of his hands fast enough to get it to DJ Moore, or Curtis Samuel. but Still, he was able to produce, you know, a thousand yards uh, rushing and receiving and, and was kind of that elite back. How and my question was twice last year, he had poor games, both of which were against the Tampa Bay Bucks. So obviously they had something figured out. What would you do to stop Christian McCaffrey or to at least, I guess, contain him? And how is it that that one team can kind of figure out? Um, kind of the skeleton key, if you will. Yeah, I think you got to look at what like Auburn tried to do to LSU. Um, and I wrote about that on match quarters of how they basically took a safety and they put him on the running back. And if the running back, it was a run, then he just, he kind of set in that glance spot, you know, for kind of the, that backside RPO that everybody's kind of come familiar with. And then if he went out for a pass, you at least have somebody that can cover him. Um, and so I, I, I thought that was a clever way of, of defending the back out that a lot of people hadn't met. And then you look at like what, um, 
for instance, the Patriots attempted to do against Lamar Jackson, putting a safety, uh, you know, really one of their fastest player. They just kind of moved him down as a spy and they, they let him fall around. And so it's kind of that thing of like, if you want to eliminate someone, you have to take somebody that you've got and kind of man him up on that. Uh, and I thought what Auburn did to LSU, and I use them because, you know, it's going to be the same system that you're going to see at Carolina. Uh, and I think what that was is a kind of, he's not necessarily wasted because you're not like, Oh, I'm just putting a man on the running back. But I do think like when the running back is to the single receiver side, you can do some different things like that. Now I think zone wise, you can kind of rally or you can, you can kind of flood the zones if he's kind of to that trip side and he's to that, to that, you know, that load side where, where they're going to flood the flood the field with four defenders. I think you can kind of flood that way. If you know that you can man it back. Uh, So to me, you know, that is how I would try and handle it. Uh, and what I've seen some people do, because you know they're all going back through, everybody in the NFL is going back through watching all the LSU games and saying, okay, well, who really defended them pretty well? Um, I think I have much respect for Kirby Smart. I think he's one of the best defensive coaching minds in the, in the country. And, I mean, he even was trying to do what Steel, what Kevin Steele was trying to do at Auburn. I mean, they, they attempted to do it. They just didn't have – they had the matchup issues. Um, you know, and so to me, I think that's kind of the deal. Do you, you know, in the NFL, can you get a guy that can match up with them? And then if not, then we got to flood that side over there and, but, but keep that box integrity. And I think that, I think that you can do that. Um, and, but, you know, again, it comes down to that matchup and being able, can you stop him? And, and to this day, I mean, I don't think anybody's stopped, stopped McCaffrey. I mean, that's why he's electric. And, and again, like you said, didn't even have a quarterback for most of the year and he was able to get a thousand yards rushing and a thousand yards receiving. Um, yeah, he, he's, uh, I, I'm interested to see what he can do with a uh, creative and not the North Turner wasn't creative, but with a new kind of fresh faced offensive coordinator and a new scheme and, and a quarterback that might actually be, be able to deliver him the ball on time and maybe take a little bit of pressure off of him. Um, in the box from a running perspective. I, I think he's going to be uh, – it's going to be a, a good season for him. Maybe not a 1,000-1,000. But um, I, I just want to recommend real quick, uh, again, I said it before uh, a couple times already, but matchquarters.com, um, Cody Alexander's site, is one of the places where I go and I, like, I read articles and I immediately feel smarter. And, and I feel like there's just more, more knowledge that we can all gain and I cannot recommend it highly enough. And you're doing some more writing um, now uh, on a different site or a, a, what the Substack. What is that yeah. exactly? Well, I'm moving over to more of a subscription base. I'm trying to do a, diff- a couple of different things. Um, I, you know, I have connections in the coaching world that I like, I want to use and I want to, I want to do that. And with that comes, you know, you want to make sure you protect their, their content as well. And, it helps me protect my content. You know, the website's gotten big enough now that it's kind of like, okay, you know, I need to, I need to kind of do something and do it. What it does too is it allows me to do some different things. Now match quarters, isn't going to change. Um, if you go to matchquarters.com, the best way to do it is just click on the links tab and it takes you basically to the table of contents and you can just go whatever you want. I've got it set up like a book and you can click on the links and go to that. You know, I've written uh, four books now on defense uh hybrids is usually the one that that a lot of people pick up first because it's not as schematically involved it's more or less like the trends and what we're seeing and and kind of the um and then yeah the sub stack is kind of thing so if you're if, if this sounds like something that you you like then 
then subscribe to the Substack. It's just matchquarters.substack.com uh, because I'm talking to coaches. I'm writing things up about different trends. You know, I, I like to be on the forefront of what we're doing. And so that's kind of, I write about things I want to learn and then I kind of put it out there for everybody else. And I'll, I'll go ahead and make some requests on some on the, while I've got you a match quarters, YouTube page, maybe some, maybe some Phil snow, 2020, uh, tape would love to see it. Um, I you don't bet. know when, how, how, how quick you get that stuff turned around, but I, I love, I, I like eat up the YouTube page. So, um, and the books are incredible. And, uh, you said it's not quite as scheme heavy, but it's pretty scheme heavy. I find myself like going back, like what, like reading a couple pages and then being like, wait, wait, wait hang on. Let me go back and read the look at the diagram and read it again. But uh, again, um, just it, it does it makes it, I feel like it every time I uh, read some of your stuff, I get smarter. So I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come on here and, and tell us a little bit about Phil Snow and make us all smarter. Yeah, and I, I appreciate for having me on. I mean, there's nothing better for me than just talking ball. Absolutely. Um, well, Cody Alexander, thank you so much, and uh, back to. Um, more nonsense. I'm sure we're playing some sort of stupid game over on the other side of this break. So uh, I'll see you over there. And we're back. But before we get to the game, I know Colin wanted to talk about this specifically about rules comments about Curtis Samuel and how he was going to use him. Colin? Yeah, I'm, I'm just intrigued because this is multiple times we've heard him be referred to as a running back. And I really look at, you know, we've talked about McCaffrey and how much you know, we all believe in him. The idea of a McCaffrey Samuel backfield. Ooh, that sounds intriguing to me. The idea that one of these guys is going to be moving out of the backfield, dictating a, a matchup. Because if you're telling me that we know we're going to get one of these guys on the linebacker, man, oh man, I don't care which one it is. That's Ooh, a huge doggy. mismatch. That That's a it. huge mismatch. So I like the idea of Lesson, we were trying to figure out how to lessen the burden of Christian McCaffrey. I, I look at Samuel and say, is that not Reggie Bonifant, but a better version potentially? And, and because of the versatility, I think them as a two-headed monster is a, a big piece of making Teddy Bridgewater in this offense successful if that's the route they actually end up going. Uh, positive Josh says, <laughs> yes. Like, let's do it. I'm ready for Curtis – I thought it was super interesting also when Scott Turner took over as offensive coordinator, the first thing he did was put Curtis Samuel in the backfield. That, like immediately that happened. So I, that is something that people watch from the outside and they say, we got to get this guy the ball in a different way. And, and I think that Joe Brady, if there is ever a name of an offensive coordinator that can get a talented player, the ball in space, maybe in a, in a unique way, it's, Joe F and Brady. So I, I think I completely agree with you. I, I think that, yeah, put them both back there, man. Imagine you know, the first play of the game. It comes, they come out in, uh, in 21 personnel with uh, Curtis Samuel and it wouldn't even be 21. Cause I guess people would think it was 13 or uh, 11 with 13 with, um, with, uh, with Curtis Samuel as a wide receiver. So you would see them in the huddle and be like, okay, I know what's happening. And then all of a sudden it's Teddy with Christian to one side, uh, Curtis Samuel to his other side, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson out wide. And then maybe you split Ian Thomas all the way out. And it's like, that's, that seems like a recipe for a timeout very early in the first quarter. 
And, and do you, if you're a defensive coordinator, do you want to rush? You want to blitz extra guys and then let Samuel or McCaffrey be leaking out over the top? I mean, they, these two guys get four or five yards. Uh, again, this can be stealing. They, these guys are going to be able to steal yardage on the, on the football field. So, so you're I, saying 1,000, 1,000 for Curtis Samuel. You heard it here first. It's on the table. Write it down. What time is it? Well, he'll probably well he'll probably be cut you know within seventy two hours. I mean <laughs> the, the old the old position change isn't necessarily the the, the great vote of confidence Stop that you're talking for. about a guy you're gonna cut. Just <laughs> be smart about this thing. I just think it's I think it's a really intriguing option, and I love the idea of moving either or both of these guys out of the backfield and dictating matchups and daring people daring teams to blitz uh, Teddy Bridgewater. I wrote down all of that so that we can re later reference this, you know, in months, whenever we need to pull this, this back up. I'm going to keep my little book. When Love Curtis it. Samuel's doing great for the Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm rooting for him. I want him here. I want him here. I, I really do. I, I really am intrigued about this, op about this possibility, if that's the route that they're going. And to me, that's the best case scenario, because otherwise, like we said, a position change for a guy in year three, that's not, that's not always the greatest thing. Glad they locked him up to a long-term deal before his value went up this season. Oh, no, it, it, they just – all right, never mind. Go ahead. Positive Josh. Let's go. What's the next Positive. Ah, it's the return of your basic. Yay. Your basic. Positive Josh's face. <laughs> so just to remind everyone the rules. So this is where you get to make a statement about someone that you dislike. Let's not say hate. And you just got to follow it with the phrase that pays your basic. Who would like to begin? Um, well, I'll go ahead and kick us off. Um, guys, if you're, if you're on social media spouting off about how your defensive rating went down on your favorite team because somebody opted out because they have a small child or a parent who is sick, um, you're basic. <laughs> That's just the new version of when high schoolers would pick a different school to go to college to play ball. And the other four fan bases all would get mad. Just yes. the, the same exact principles of play here. If you're getting mad about high school athletics and your child is not on one of those teams, you're basic. If <laughs> your GM has, has had a job for 13 years, if we have 13 years of evaluating the GM that we can do and you want to make uh, whether or not you like him, boil down to a special teams punting decision or a kicking decision or an undrafted free agent singular decision, you're basic. The man's got a resume at this point. He's got plenty of stuff you can evaluate him on. If every time there's a transaction for this team, we're going to do an evaluation, it's no more sincere than a national guy that would do the evaluations after Cam on, on week 11 and go, well, this is who Cam is, rather than ignoring the MVP season. I'm not saying Marty's been perfect. I just don't think I – mean, you heard Matt Rule in his recent press conference asked about the punter, and he's like, nah, I don't know, Marty picked him. Like, that's who special teams guys are. That's a, like, they're fringe guys. They're not guys that you dictate whether or not you pick or keep your general manager. If you're basing whether or not you keep your general manager on what he does with your punter, you're basic. Speaking of special teamers, if you're one of those guys that whenever, when uh, Graham Gano got released, you said to yourself, well, but he missed those field goals, you're basic. Because Graham Gano, <laughs> there, it is very rare 
for a team to have two kickers over the over the entirety of their franchise, and that is what the Carolina Panthers have done. They have had basically Graham Gano. I'm sorry, they had John Casey for the first 12 years, and then they had 30 different kickers, and then they had Graham Gano. And I'm sorry, but if all you can do is remember the bad things, you're basic. The best thing Graham Gano ever did was the 63-yarder because that, that cemented the nod. The Cam nod that we all love was cemented by that 63-yarder. Thank you for your regular season contribution. I, I feel like there was – I may have had a basic was, moment is what I'm trying to acknowledge not that long ago before we started recording, okay? I'm acknowledging that I too can be basic. I feel like there were a couple words in that thank you that maybe canceled out the whole thing, but uh, whatever. <laughs> um, that doesn't uh, that doesn't uh, make a difference. Well, whatever do you mean? <laughs> uh, if you're wearing your mask, but it doesn't cover your nose, you basic. If you are the man at the front of Target or Walmart fighting the 80-year-old woman who, at Target, she is in a wheelchair about not wanting to wear your mask, you basic. Walmart, if the if the entrance is closed, make it look closed. Don't make it look like it's the normally open <laughs> entrance that any common, decent person that's been to Walmart over the last 20 years would walk into rather than the one with caution tape and gates and everything. Why is there someone at that door rather than a sign that you can see when you're parking your car near that door? You're basic. Let's figure this out. You got poster board. It's back to school time. You got the materials. Let's make a sign. Let's help each other out, Walmart. <laughs> you said you've got poster board. It's back to school time. <laughs> that was it's great. True. If you're putting the out second Halloween, entrance, it looks like the one you should be going to, Walmart. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Speaking of Walmart managers, if you're putting out the Halloween candy, Halloween ain't happening this year. You basic. <laughs> not, no kids are going to other people's doors and accepting food from them. We all need guns like they have at the – I don't mean – like the, the guns they have <laughs> oh, at the Hornets game. No, the ones that they have at the Hornets games to shoot T-shirts or to this shoot candy This thing got very – went from basics to complicated immediately. Well, it's a gun. I don't know. What, what, the, the, the shirt shooter. Whatever the shirt shooter is. Not the, not the big gun. one. You got to put the word t-shirt in okay. front of the gun. Okay. All right. So you need a t-shirt gun that we can shoot candy from, from the porch into the street and let kids try and catch it. I'm here for that. Also, and I'll just throw this out there. I know this is just specifically talking to people that are in my Twitter mentions, but when, when someone says something good about Teddy Bridgewater – if you automatically assume that it is a negative about Cam Newton, you're basic. They're not tied together. They are two different players on two different teams. Teddy Bridgewater can be good at throwing the ball downfield. That doesn't mean that Cam Newton can't also be good at throwing the ball downfield. Teddy Bridgewater can be all about football. That isn't a shot at Cam because he's not all about football. You're basic. You're clinging to straws. We all hope that Cam Newton has a fantastic year in New England and proves that he is 100% healthy. But never if Boston. You think, if it's you never Boston. Possibly Look, imagine. I want Kimba to do well in the bubble, but never Boston. Never Boston. When are we ready to talk about the fact that the Hornets didn't re-sign Kemba and he has an arthritis problem in his knee and the Panthers released Cam and went to Boston and now he may have a 
and he may theoretically have a problem in his shoulder. Is that like when, how many years down the road are we going to talk about both teams, both stars, both going to Boston and maybe, maybe not saying it's happening yet. Maybe both of them having some sort of a lingering problem in a very important joint. Well, if there's one thing that we know, it's that Boston's going to handle this well. And they're not going to look to blame anyone else. I mean, Danny Ainge is going to take full accountability. Robert Kraft and that organization, they'll take full accountability at all times for all of their actions. And so at least they went to two upstanding organizations, you know, like the Celtics and the Patriots, that, that, that will certainly not make excuses or will not look to blame, you know, Charlotte. At some point. Can either of you do a good Boston accent? Like, what does Cam sound like in a Boston accent? Cam. That's more of like a JFK, like Cam. Trying to, yeah, it's hard to do it just right off the cuff. I don't know. I feel yeah. like I'm, I'm not. Cam really Newton. Cam. I feel like that was we pretty gave, good. Yeah, Cam Newton. We gave him a shot. You know, we we all wanted him to do well when he came up here. We were cheering for him. We bought the T-shirt from Boston, and the guy comes in and he throws interceptions. What are we supposed to do? Of course, we're gonna boo him. Of course, we're gonna throw him to. The, to the side. Of course, we're going to get rid of him and tell him what a terrible human being he is, and he's nowhere near Tom Brady to go. Of course, we're going to do all of these things. Hey, Cam Newton. Hey, Cam. Hey, Cam. You're basic. <laughs> <laughs> you, and, and here, you with your, we were worried you, with your roster that up. you know ten people opted out of. You're, you're basic. <laughs> we were so worried we wouldn't get Cam into an episode, and look at that, Colin <laughs> squeezed him in. Squeeze them in. Colin, CLT, Josh Klein rules, Nikki704. Uh, thank you to our guest, Cody Alexander. Um, I, we should, you should have asked him a your basic question. I should have. I should have asked him uh, what, what was base. He's much too complicated for that. But he plugged his Twitter and his, uh, and his stuff at the end of his interview. But uh, go check out matchquarters.com. Go check out theriotreport.com. Um, next week, practices start. We're one of only a few media members, uh, media outlets, that'll be in the, in the practice facility watching on the sidelines. So um, we're excited for that, uh, kind of. Um, I'm going to be wearing my mask, and I don't like leaving the house. So, yay. Positive Josh. Positive Josh. This has been One Day Contract, part of the Riot Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Everyone wash those hands, wear those masks, stay safe. We'll see you next week. Say yes. Positive energy. That's great. It starts with an earth. Yes.